0: Acts the 10th chapter is where we're going to take a look at this morning, and the title of our lesson is, What Was the Message to Cornelius? There are various reasons why this story uh, is important. The mere fact that it is recorded and kept preserved for us should signify that it's important. Uh, one of the ways in which it is directly important to us is, this is a, uh, is a Gentile who is going to be involved in Peter's message. And the Gentiles are going to have salvation brought to them. We're all Gentiles, so this ought to be of importance to us also. So we want to talk about what was this message that uh, God wanted to get to Cornelius. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 10 and verses 1 through 5. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. It's kind of interesting. Cornelius is one of those characters, once again, that kind of appears on the Scriptures and then he kind of disappears. But I'll tell you this. This account about Cornelius is going to appear here in Acts 10, it's going to be mentioned in Acts 11, and it's going to be mentioned again in Acts 15. The mere fact that it's mentioned three times ought to get our attention and why the Holy Spirit has preserved that for us. When you take a look at Acts chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius Centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. Whenever we read that, we might not immediately just kind of identify with that. So I'm going to kind of rephrase that so that we can kind of grasp what is being said here. What if I said, Now John, a middle manager at KCPNL. Could you wrap your mind around that? And you'd say, well, now here's this individual, and this is his name, and this is his position. And he's a mid-level manager. So he's actually achieved some sort of level of success in his occupation and in his work. This says Cornelius... And it says he is a centurion of the Italian cohort. So he's a Roman soldier and he's over a hundred men. So you'd have to take a look at this and say, well, he's achieved a certain level of success in his occupation. Now, you know, a lot of times we talk to our kids when they're young or somebody may ask them and they'll say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or what are you going to do when you grow up? And normally whenever we say that, we don't expect an answer like, well, when I get older, I'll probably, you know, hang out. (laughs) It's kind of like, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to try to achieve? And actually in asking that, we're kind of encouraging that, aren't we? That as you grow up and that you want to achieve something, do something with your life. And that's good. To a degree. Because sometimes this life we can become preoccupied with. To the extent that we forget there's something else. See, in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, It's talking about what God has done for man. In Ecclesiastes 3 and about verse 11, it says, He has set eternity in their hearts. In other words, you and I have the capacity to think about what's going to take place when this life is over. You know, I got a dog at home by the name of Tucker. Tucker's a good dog. I think more of him than my wife does. (laughs) But you know, Tucker and I have never had the discussion. Tucker, do you ever think about what's going to happen when your life's over? (laughs) But we have that capacity. And we think about what's going to happen when this life is over. See, because sometimes we get preoccupied with this life. And we forget about, one of these days it's going to be over. 1 Timothy, the 4th chapter and about verse 8, Paul writing to Timothy says, bodily exercise is profitable for little. (laughs) In our society, we make a big deal out of that, don't we? It's a billion dollar plus business because there's these sort of fitness centers and all these kind of things all over the place and so we we put a lot of emphasis on that. And Paul says bodily exercise is profitable for a little, but godliness is profitable for this life and the one to come. Where do you think the emphasis ought to be? <laughs> He's saying, you've got to think about it. one of these days, it's going to be over. 1 Timothy the sixth chapter. Paul writing to Timothy says and talking about those who have achieved a certain level of success in this life. And he makes this point. He says, we brought nothing into this world and of a certainty we will carry nothing out. Sometimes we kind of say with tongue in cheek well, that's the reason why they don't put a luggage rack on the hearse. <laughs> You're not taking anything with you. You probably all have heard of a man by the name of, or some of you have, sports figure by the name of Yogi Berra. <laughs> he used to come up with these kind of famous little sayings and so forth. And I believe that he's the one that was credited with, it ain't over till it's over. Now he played baseball. And essentially what he was saying is, until that final out is made, you don't know what's going to happen. Anything can happen. And so he would be saying, you gotta keep playing, because it ain't over till it's over. Well, there's another phrase <laughs> that we as Christians ought to remember and try to emphasize and impress on other people. And I think that phrase would be something like this. When it's over, it ain't over. Because Hebrews, the ninth chapter, and about verse 27 says, It is commanded unto man to die once. And then comes the judgment. So when it's over, it ain't over. And that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes say: He has set eternity in our hearts, so we can think about that. And what James says along those lines, he says that our life is like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You see, Paul says physical exercise is profitable for a little. But godliness in comparison is beneficial for this life and the one to come. And James helps us to understand why that is. Because in comparison... This life is like a vapor. Eternity is eternity. You know, we can multiply passages along those lines. I'm not going to take the time to read all of them. I'm just going to bring some of them to your minds. Matthew, the fourth chapter. And about verse four. Do you remember where Satan tempts Jesus. And he says, If thou be the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. And what's Jesus say? It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What's he saying? What he's saying is, man is more than just physical. He's also spiritual. And he needs to listen to the Word of God. Luke, the 12th chapter. When one man comes and interrupts Jesus and says, Rabbi, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance. And then Jesus teaches this parable about the rich farmer. And the rich farmer is quite satisfied with the way things are going in life and he's talking about the fact that he's going to tear down his barns and he's going to build bigger ones because he has been prosperous in farming and he's going to lay up his grain and then he's going to tell himself eat, drink, and be merry because you've got much laid up for many years to come. And then God says and breaks in, thou fool this very night your life will be required of you and then who shall these things be and Jesus says so is he who is not rich towards God God's the one that calls that man a fool but why do you call him a fool Well, it wasn't because he was a good farmer. (laughs) It wasn't because he'd been successful. It was because he put all of his focus on this life and none on the next. And Jesus says in Mark the 8th chapter, about verse 35, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and then loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Revelation, the 20th chapter. John, as he's having a vision of judgment, he said, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. What's that tell us? The great and the small. Everyone will stand there before that throne and they will give an account for the way in which they have lived their life. So when we take a look at Cornelius, and it says that he was a centurion. Here was a man who achieved a certain level of success in this life. And yet God says, Cornelius, you need to hear from Peter. I want you to send somebody. He needed to hear that message. But next, Acts chapter 10 and verse 2. It says, A devout man and one who feared God with all of his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Continually. Cornelius was devout and he feared God and he gave alms and he prayed we look at that we think well Cornelius was he was a religious man but Cornelius had to learn something And what he had to learn was religion alone is not the same as redemption. And he was a sincere man. But sincerity is not the same thing as salvation. And so God wanted him to hear a message from Peter and one of the things that he needed to understand was to put it in modern day vernacular just going to church won't get you to heaven. And see, we talked a little bit about this in class this morning, didn't we? Because in John the 17th chapter, Jesus prayed that His followers would all be one. And then Brian pointed out from Colossians that Jesus Christ is preeminent and that we ought to all be following Him. And just being religious is not the same thing as following Jesus Christ. When I was a small boy, I've mentioned this before, living on a farm up in northern uh, northwest part of Missouri, typical kind of Rockwell, uh, that, uh, what's, his, what's the painter's name? Norman Rockwell. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> Town Square, city park in the middle, Little arch over the entrance to the park. And I remember reading that sign over and over again as a kid. And you know what it said? Attend the church of your choice somewhere each week. Now you couldn't get away with that today. You can't write those (laughs) guys. You gotta have a separation of church and state, you know, you can't. But back then. Attend the church of your choice somewhere each week. See, because that's kind of the way people think, isn't it? Religion, just any religion, is good enough. You know, there were various religions in the Old Testament. But God revealed His religion. There's various religions in the New Testament. We talked about that this morning. But he revealed his religion. I want to read to you from Matthew. Matthew the seventh chapter. <clears throat> I'm going to begin at verse 21. Matthew seven and verse twenty one. Luke won't work. I gotta get to Matthew. Not, <laughs> this doesn't look right. <laughs> Matthew seven, verse twenty one. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. What does it say? He's the one that's got authority. He's the one that will tell us about salvation or about worship or about the church, or about the way it's organized, or the way it works, or any of those other things. Back to the book of Acts. Acts, the 10th chapter, and verse 33. Cornelius, now speaking to Peter after Peter comes. He said, So I sent for you immediately, And you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. That's the attitude. We're here to hear all that you've commanded. God knew Cornelius was a religious man. But he said, send for Peter. There's a message that you need to hear. Just being religious is not enough. Acts chapter 10 and verse 22. These are the men that come to Joppa and are speaking to Peter to convince him to come back to Caesarea. And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, A righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear a message from you. A centurion, a righteous man, a God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews you ever met anybody like that somebody that just everybody generally speaks well of and that's the way Cornelius is talked about this is a good man this is a good person But what Cornelius needed to understand is he still needed to hear that message from Peter because what God wanted him to understand is that just being good is not good enough. And what Cornelius needed to understand and what we need to understand is that sometimes there's a danger in goodness. Goodness. You ever run into this person? Maybe you tried to talk to them about the Lord, about their situation. And they may point to somebody and they will say, "Well, I'm better than that person." But do you ever notice also that the person they pick out <laughs> is generally worse than them? <laughs> They're not going to pick out somebody better. And <laughs> They'll say, well, I'm better than that person. And they may be. They may be a good person. Cornelius was a good person. There's a reason why this is preserved for us. But there's a righteousness that we need that is not a righteousness of ourselves. Romans, the 10th chapter. This is what the Apostle Paul says about his own brethren. He said, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer for to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I testify, testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own They do not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. What did Paul just say? Here's my brethren. And they've got a certain understanding about righteousness. But in having that understanding about righteousness, the problem is they're not subjecting themselves to the righteousness of God. That's a problem. He's not saying that there's not any good people in Israel. There were plenty of good people. Paul was a good person, wasn't he? (laughs) But the problem was they needed to subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Backing up to Romans, the third chapter beginning at verse 21. It says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Some translations say it has been revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so Paul says there's a righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Now here's where we got to watch it. Because Romans 10 and verse 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There is a righteousness of God that is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So what does the Word of God say about that? And that faith in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 5 and verse 9 says, He, speaking about Jesus Christ, has become the author of salvation to all those who obey Him. If I believe in Jesus Christ, will I obey Him? Isn't that what we just read a minute ago from Matthew, the 7th chapter? Why call me Lord, Lord, and then do not the things which I say? That's faith in Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 10 and verse 36. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel. He's telling Cornelius that. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all what was Peter going to deliver to Cornelius that peace comes through Jesus Christ because he is Lord of all and Jesus says why call me Lord Lord and then do not the things which I say Cornelius was a good man but what was the message to him you need to send for Peter because he's got words that you need to hear. Acts eleven chapter and verse fourteen. So, what was the message that God was trying to get across to Cornelius? Acts eleven and verse fourteen. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved. You and all of your household in Acts chapter 11 after word spread to Jerusalem see Acts chapter 10 Peter is called and he goes to see Cornelius who's a Gentile and he teaches him the gospel Well then in Acts chapter 11 there were certain Jews back in Jerusalem that got wind of this. And so they kind of call him on the carpet so to speak. What's this deal about you going to the house of a foreigner and to a Gentile? And so in Acts chapter 11 what you actually have is the recounting and Peter telling them of what took place. And so in Acts chapter 11, verse 13, and he reported to us, this is Peter speaking about Cornelius, and he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved. You and all of your household. So Peter is telling them, Cornelius received this vision. I was in Joppa. He was in Caesarea. And God told him to send for me. And so I went there and I talked to him. And what he said was, God said, you'll tell me words. Which by me, myself, and my household can be saved. And so Peter... Understood, because <laughs> he had asked Cornelius previous. If you back up in that context, why'd you send for me? <laughs> and so Cornelius tells him, "This is the vision that I had, and that I should send for you, and you would tell me words whereby I might be saved." In verse twenty-two, which I read a moment ago in Acts chapter 10. They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and god fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. Stop and think about that. Caesarea, Joppa 24 miles an angel appears to Cornelius you need to send for Peter we need to understand that why didn't the angel just tell him (laughs) Cornelius you're lost and this is what you need to do. But that's not what he said. You need to sin for Peter. Why is that? Because in Romans, the first chapter, verse 16, it says, The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, to the Gentile. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel message is the power. (laughs) And that message needs to be delivered. So call for Peter. So what's that tell you? Peter's the one that's going to deliver it. This is what God wants to happen. Do you ever heard somebody say something like, Well, I had this vision. And this angel told me. You never heard that, Sue? (laughs) I have so. (laughs) If that's the way it's going to work, then why didn't God just have this angel tell Cornelius? Because that wasn't God's plan. Angels are servants of God. But angels do not preach the gospel men preach the gospel that's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 21 it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who would believe that's the method that's why Jesus said go and preach the gospel To all creation. That's the method. That God wants to set forth. And that's why he's telling Cornelius. You need to hear. From Peter. Because in the first century. He was showing us. This is the way salvation. Is going to go forth. To Jew. And Gentile. It is through the preaching of the gospel. And it's critical that we understand that. Because I remember a long time ago, listening to a radio program, Brian, Vivian Rhodes used to have Bible talk. And there was a person that called up and said that one night they were laying in their bedroom And they had a window unit and there was sort of a vapor something or another that came out and was telling them about how they could be saved. And this lady told the preacher that was doing the program at that time, if God spoke to people in the Old Testament he can speak to me. And I remember the answer. He said, it's not a question of what God can do. It's what God has done. And what God has done is said, this is the way the gospel is going to go into all the world. It's going to be taught. It's going to be preached. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who would believe. and that's what we need to understand some people want to be saved in various ways but God said Cornelius you need to send for Peter and he will speak words to you whereby you might be saved I want to begin in Acts chapter 10 and verse 32 and I want to read these passages to you Acts chapter 10 Verse 32. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears Him and does what is right is welcome to Him. The word which He sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. Peter says, Now I understand that the gospel is for everybody. Jew and Gentile and Jesus is Lord of all. Verse 37 through 42 You yourselves know Listen to what he says. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good And healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all these things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible. Not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead and he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly testify that this is the one who had been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead peter is saying we were appointed to go and preach the gospel and what was it he just told them you know about jesus and you know about the miracles that he performed and you know he was put to death and you know he was resurrected he preached the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the confirmation through those miracles that he was the Son of God. And so Peter was going to deliver to him words whereby he might be, they might be saved. You know, sometimes we refer to this section of Scripture and we say, well, this was the conversion of Cornelius. Well, there were actually a couple conversions that day <laughs> one of them was the preacher <laughs> he had to be converted to the idea the gospel is for everybody verse 44 while Peter was still speaking these words the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can they? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. They were convinced. Because of the vision, and we didn't take the time to read that from Acts 10, the vision that Peter also received. And then the Holy Spirit fell upon these Gentiles, and Peter says, I understand. And the salvation is for them, just like for us. Because prior to this, mostly the gospel had been restricted to just the Jews. But God wanted that message to go into all the world. The outline. For the book of Acts is given by Jesus in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the utmost parts of the world. He wanted it to go everywhere. I want you to notice verse 47 Though them. He says, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we. Can he? In other words, nobody's going to keep them from being baptized, are they? Why would he say that? If you back up to Acts the second chapter, the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches the gospel. And when they become convinced that the one whom they had crucified was the son of glory and that God had raised him up and sat him at his right hand, they cried out and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And that's where Peter said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, he's talking to the Jews. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's salvation. Acts 11. It says he will speak words to you where you can be saved. Hebrews the second chapter in verse 6 says what is man that you are mindful of him? Well God was mindful of Cornelius. And he wanted Peter to come to him and speak words whereby he might be saved. Last point. Acts chapter 10, verse 3 through 6. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him him, and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon who is also called Peter. God remembered Cornelius. Just he remembers all men. And even though the gospel primarily had gone to the Gentiles up to this, or uh, to the Jews up to this point, God wanted that message to go to the Gentiles. And so the Hebrew writer quotes. And he says, what is man that you remember him? God's concerned. And see, one of the reasons why this is preserved for us is so that we understand that God's concerned about all people. And he's concerned about you, and he's concerned about me. And that's why John writes, for God so loved the world that whosoever would believe should not perish. But when Peter, sometimes people look at this and they say, well, you know, Peter said in verses 47 and 48, he commanded them to be baptized. And he said, who can hinder him? But I don't read in there where it says that they ever did it. Hmm. So, what do you do with that? I mentioned earlier, Cornelius is mentioned in Acts 10, Acts 11, and Acts 15. Acts 10 send for Peter. He has a message. Acts 11 and verse 14. A message whereby words, whereby you and your household can be saved. Now Acts 15. This is a number of years later. This is the Jerusalem Council. And you remember... The argument? Well, these people can become Christians. But first, they need to be Jews. And then they can be Christians. Acts 15 and verse 7. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. So Peter's recounting what took place a number of years earlier in Acts 10. Then in verse, uh, uh, verse 11. Acts 15 and verse 11. But we believe. Watch what he says. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also. What did Peter just do? He just flipped it right around, didn't he? He's talking to the Jews. And he said, we are saved the same way they are. (laughs) You see that? Because the Jews have been saying, if you're going to be saved you got to be saved the way we are. you got to become a good Jew. And then you can be a Christian. Peter says, no, that's not right. If you want to be saved, you've got to be saved the same way they are. And he says, you know how I was the one that took it to the Gentiles. Salvation. And you want to be saved? you got to be saved like them. Now let's put it together. Acts 2 and verse 38, he preaches to the Jews. And he says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You want to be saved? That's what you got to do. So when he went to Cornelius, he said, Who can, who can refuse water for them? Why? So they can be forgiven of their sins. And you Jews, if you want to be saved, you be saved just like them. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, it says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. How do I know Cornelius obeyed? Because Peter said they were saved. And you got to be saved the same way. In Acts 2 and verse 47, the Lord added such as should be saved. that was the message Cornelius you're a successful man you're a religious man you're a good man but that's not enough you need to hear this message you need to hear these words you need to believe these words you need to respond to these words because these are the words whereby you might be saved. I want to extend the invitation to any and all that are here this morning, and if we can help you, and if you believe these words, and you're ready to respond to them, we want to assist you in any way we can, while together we stand, and while we sing.